All right. Good morning, everyone. Glad you guys are here. Before I get going, uh, just really quickly, Pastor Gabe said, you know, as far as the outreach that we're doing with regards to the beloved group, she said there's too much to talk about, but I just want to urge you to say, so who here goes to Starbucks at least once a week? Okay. What about Qdoba? Stop being a hater. Qdoba, McDonald's, Taco Bell, okay, any of these places. Here's the reason I bring this up is not to be divisive, but to illustrate that when you're there, or at least just plant the seed, when you're there, think about just buying a $5 gift card. In addition to whatever it is that you're getting, just an extra $5 for a gift card, drop that in the milk jug that we have out there at the welcome table. That's for Beloved. What they do with those is that they use those $5 gift cards to just random places as essentially a bribe or a ticket in past the doorman, past the security in order to be able to build relationships with these women that, that we want to show them options or other ways of life. So a little $5 gift card that you get while you're getting your own coffee or whatever it is that you're doing, that thing could be the ticket that allows somebody to hear the word for the first time or even have somebody act like they're a human being and love them beyond what they do for a living, right? So I just want you to think about that. The next time you're there, if the Holy Spirit just reminds you of this conversation, I want you to try and be obedient to that and do that. And then when you're here next weekend, just drop it in. And I'm assuming you're all going to be here next weekend. When you come, just drop it in that bucket that's out there, okay? And we'll get it to where it needs to go and where it will do some good. So, okay, enough about that. Hey, um, I'm excited to get going with this message. This is week 19 of our Sermon on the Mount series. Can you believe it? We've been in Sermon on the Mount for 19 weeks. I remember when we started this, having conversations with Pastor Jonathan Stumbo, different people on our staff, and they're like, is there enough meet there in the Sermon on the Mount to go for that long? And I'm like, we could go all year in the Sermon on the Mount because there's so much wisdom there. There is so much great stuff there. And for those of you who maybe have missed a few in between, you can always jump back onto our podcasts. Okay, so we're on, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play. You can go there and you can listen. And you can link to those things straight through our website if you'd like. And listen to the previous messages because it is so full of wisdom. This is widely regarded in in both religious and secular circles as the single greatest teaching of wisdom, just about how to live with each other that has ever been given even to this day. And so there is a lot of meat there. And if you know the last, um, all this time we kind of started out with a flow, okay? So like any good message, Jesus has a flow to the message that he's teaching, And there's a point, it's not just a bunch of random bits of wisdom, there's a flow and a point to it. So he starts out with the Beatitudes. If you remember, I talked about last week, um, the Beatitudes, he says, hey, here, here are the character traits that my followers, that children of my father should exhibit. These are the character traits that you should begin working towards, being transformed into this. And as you do that, here are the blessings that you will reap, okay? And this is kind of the Beatitudes. He sets it up by saying, hey, do do you want this? Do you want to be blessed by being merciful? Do you want to be blessed by being kind? And all these different things that he talks about in the Beatitudes. And hopefully at that point, the disciples that are listening to this are saying, yeah, I want that. 
I, I want those blessings and I want that character. That, those are great character traits. I want that. And then he goes in and proceeds for the next period of time. For us, it was 17 weeks. For him, it was just a matter of hours. But he talks about, here's how to actually practically live that life. And he talks about that it's not just enough to do the right things. To know the word and say, okay, the word says I should do these things and then to go out and do them. It's not enough to just do that. In fact, it's more important where your heart is while you're doing it. And he says clearly that if you're doing these things and your heart's not in the right place as you're doing it, you might as well not be doing it at all. So it's so much more important than just following the letter of what the law says. It's where's your heart. And he goes through all that and then realizes at some point that, hey, this, this is sounding really hard. I see all the blank stares out there, and they're all looking at me saying, how do I do this? This is tough. There's so many rules and so many things to know, and you're telling me that not only is it enough to know the rules and what I should do, because I've heard that my whole life growing up. I've heard what I should do. Now you're telling me it's more important where my mindset is. How am I going to do that? How am I possibly going to keep my mind in the right place and end up in the kingdom of heaven where you've promised me and where I want to be? So then he goes in and he says, hey, essentially, he says, don't worry about it. All you have to do is you have to ask. Just ask and seek the Father's heart and knock. If you ask and you seek and you knock and you you are prayerful about this, the Holy Spirit will guide you In fact, ask first or seek first the kingdom of heaven and these things will be added on to you. So if we really, if we are seeking the kingdom and we're seeking the Father's heart, then the rest should flow into place. Okay, so and that's where he's teaching. Here are the blessings. Here's what you have to do. Don't worry about it. We'll be there to help you get there. And then last week, last week he teaches, you have a choice. There is a wide gate that everybody can fit through no matter what you believe, no matter what baggage you want to bring, there's a wide gate and everybody can go through that or there's a narrow gate. There's a narrow gate that leads to the life, the abundant, supernatural, above the ordinary life that the Father wants you to live. There is but a narrow gate and that's all there is. And that's the gate I want you to choose. So in the midst of all this teaching, he finally comes to a point and says, okay, I've told you everything. I've taught you the truth. Now you need to decide. And that's where we find ourselves now. He has challenged us to decide, do we want to live that life or do we want to try and keep a foot in both worlds? Come here to church on Sunday and be a really good Christian and then go out in the world and just live our life as though we'd never heard any of that. That's the choice that we're faced with right now. And so, after offering us that choice and teaching us those things, then you can almost hear the thought process as he says, okay, you're going to need a guide. You're going to need a guide. The Word of God is obviously our number one guide, okay? And then we seek the Holy Spirit and His, His revelation, His rhema word on what the written Word says. And that's what we're all seeking, but we need an earthly guide, We need somebody to help us interpret what we're reading. 
And sometimes even interpret what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us because it's not always even clear to us. So he knows that we're going to be looking for earthly guides. And so he wants to make certain, and that's what the teaching is about today. He wants to make certain that when we're looking for our guide, when we look for our source of information, that we're looking to the right place. Because fake news, as we call it now, right? We call it fake news. It's all over the place. You can't open up the internet. You can't even read a magazine, really, or a newspaper with any kind of assurance that it's accurate. Used to be you turn on the news, and if you saw it on the nightly news, okay, that was, that was accurate. That's what's happening. But anymore, that's not even close to the case. And the same with newspapers, which used to be the, the bastion of, of truth, right? Not anymore. So where are you getting your information? It's not a new problem. The problem has been around for eons. And in fact, even the Apostle Peter writes about things that were happening even thousands of years before him, all the way back in Old Testament times. And there's a scripture here I want to share with you. This is 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose. Now, listen to this as I read this. Does this not sound like things that are happening today? And you consider that this was probably three to four, five thousand years ago that he was talking about this. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Basically, at the end there, he's saying, don't worry, they'll get what they have coming to them. But this is a problem that's been around forever. There are so many sources of information that it's hard to know what the truth really is. So I want to ask you, where, just throw out some, some answers here. Where do you get your information today? Where do we get our information? Anybody. Internet. Okay. Where else? Like if you really want to know, you're sitting at home and somebody tells you, hey, did you hear about what happened in whatever? Where would you go? CNN. Fox News. Television. The Denver Post. Okay. This is where we would go. But can we even trust that those are accurate? There are so many. You want to hope that they are. But if you read or listen to or watch any of these things with an open mind, you can see that there is a particular bent, a particular angle that most of them come from. So it's hard to even trust them. When you're a kid, think back to when you're a kid, running around in the neighborhood, okay? For those of you who are like over 25 years old, we'd run around the neighborhood, okay? Our parents would let us out, and we could run around, and we'd talk to other kids, and we'd form little groups, and we'd ride our bikes, most of which without a helmet, believe it or not. And yet, we are still here. It's hard to imagine, just the grace of God. But when you were a kid, where did you get your information when you were a kid? Curtis. Other friends. Uh, other friends. 
Other friends. Mom Jenny? And Mom, and da- Mom and dad. Okay, a better source of information. Tim? <laughs> teachers. Te- teachers? That's an excellent source of information. Theoretically, it's an excellent source of information. Good answer. Good answer. Where would you get your information as a kid? Radio, television, siblings. siblings, parents. Okay, I'll tell you where I got mine. I got mine from my little group of friends, okay? Five or six of us that would run around, and somebody would say, hey, I saw whatever it was today. Ooh, tell me about it. And they'd tell you about it. And that's how you started to form your ideas of what things were and, and how to interact with the world and, and what truth really was. That's where I got most of my, I wasn't, I didn't go to my parents for that kind of information. And frankly, my parents didn't want to share that kind of information with me. So they didn't go there. I was entirely reliant until I got up and like was in high school and beyond and started learning that I can actually find out things for myself that I stopped relying solely on what my friends said. And what a revelation that is when you find out that things aren't exactly as your group of buddies told you can be difficult. But a lot of us formed our, formed our moral core, our compass was formed with that kind of information. If we're fortunate, it did come from parents or teachers or somebody that we could trust. But I would venture to say that there's a lot of us who got our information from less stable sources. Okay? And so our information could be all over the place. Where you get your information is incredibly important, is incredibly important. There are so many things that are common knowledge or conventional wisdom in the world today that people assume are biblical. People assume that they're spoken by God, they're written in the Bible because they sound good and they sort of make sense. Maybe you've heard a vague thing or you've seen a TV show or maybe you got your entire picture of what Christianity is from the movie How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Okay, maybe that's your entire uh, education on that. You laugh, but there are people that get information places like that. Let me, let me give you a quick quiz. Is anybody up for a quiz? Okay, good, because we're going to do it anyway. Who agrees with the following biblical statements? Or let me rephrase that. Who agrees that the following things are actually in the Bible? Eve gave Adam an apple in the garden. True? Okay, I hear both. I hear true and false. Okay, this one may just be semantics, but the Bible never says it's an apple. Okay, people that work in the apple industry are like, quit saying it was an apple. (laughs) It could have been anything. Chances are it probably wasn't an apple, but it does say that Eve gave Adam fruit. Okay, next one. Three wise men visited Jesus in the manger. No. I got a lot of no's. That's good. But we see that in nativity scenes all the time. We see that in Christmas pageants. Okay? It's a very commonly held belief, even among Christians, that that's how it worked. But the Bible never says that happened. The Bible only says that more than one wise man or magi Okay, more than one. The where we get three is that there were three gifts. Remember gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So three different gifts. Then we just kind of make this leap that it was three. All right. The other part of that, they didn't visit him in the manger. 
okay? Didn't happen. So all your nativity scenes where you've got the three wise men in the manger, you can just toss, no, don't. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. But harmless, maybe. Maybe. Next one. A whale swallowed Jonah. False. Okay. It says a large fish. A large fish or a leviathan. There are different words that it used. Never says it's a whale. Okay. Now, if you go to Israel in the town where that was to have happened, they actually have this big giant bronze cast of a whale there. So, you know, it's commonly people think it's a whale. Bible doesn't say that though. Again, harmless, maybe. Next one. Here's where we're starting to get into some that might make a difference. God helps those who help themselves. Who thinks it's in there? Those who might think it are like, I'm not raising my hand. He's going to pick on me. That's not in there. That's not in there. And I would argue that that actually is in opposition to the gospel. Because it's not up to us and self-sufficiency within us to do anything. In fact, left to ourselves, we can do very little. How about the next one? God wants me to be happy. Come on. Are you sure? Are you sure? God loves you. You're his child. Doesn't say God wants me to be happy. It doesn't say that. It only says that you will be blessed if you follow his word. And as a child of his, his heart is to bless you. Sometimes blessing does not make us happy. Sometimes blessing is not easy. And it's not fun sometimes. We're never promised that. Next one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Which His mom says it's true. Who thinks cleanliness is next to godliness is in the Bible? Okay, you guys are smart. You must have a good teacher. <laughs> cleanliness is next to godliness is not found anywhere in the Bible. In fact, it is found in ancient texts in the Hebrew Talmud. Hebrew Talmud, it doesn't say that exact phrase, but it's very, very close to that. And in fact, Ben Franklin when he wrote Poor Richard's Almanac. Some of you are old enough to be there when he wrote that. I'm not, I'm not making eye contact with anyone. Actually, Ben Franklin is one that popularized that term. Next one. God won't give you more than you can handle. True. I hear some murmurs now. God won't give you more than you can handle. Guess what? Everything is more than we can handle. Everything is more than we can handle. In fact, Jesus himself says, come to me, you are who are burdened and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, implying that you're going to have more than you can handle, but he'll take it from you. Next one. When you die, God gains another angel. No. Universally, no. That's good. No. Angels are created beings. Angels are angels. And I'm sorry, but when you die, you don't become an angel. Okay. Next one. Money is the root of all evil. You guys are so smart. Last night, they were all over the place. Saturday night, those Saturday night guys. The love of money. Okay? Money is not the root of all evil. Next one. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, here are a lot of yeses. 
I hear a few no's. Okay, is this semantics? Yes or no? The King James Version is the only one that uses the term kill. There's a couple obscure translations that use the word kill. Most of them use the word murder. And in fact, if you study it out in the original text, it's murder. It's not simply taking a life. There are times and reasons where taking a life is necessary. But that's kill. Or that's murder, okay? I'm sorry, I had it right the first time. You can kill for certain reasons. But this one may be a little more important, as are some of them. There are people who base their entire theology on thou shalt not kill. And I'm not here to debate whether that necessarily is, is right or wrong. But if you don't know the truth behind what the information says, you can end up going down the wrong path. And so these are just some. Some of them, maybe they're just kind of fun and like, ah, gotcha, it wasn't an apple, it could have been any kind of fruit. That's true. But these are commonly held beliefs. These are common things that you'll see in the media and you'll see in movies. And many, many people believe that these things are found in the Bible. The thing is, is that they're not. And so does it really matter? Does it really matter? In some cases, no. Was it an apple or was it a nectarine or was it a lemon? Who knows? Pomegranate. Could have been any of those things. It doesn't really probably matter in that case. But if we start looking at everything that we hear and we don't filter it and we don't look at it to where is this truth or is this not, then it's an easy road to go down where you start looking at things like God helps those who help themselves. God wants me to be happy. If you buy in that God wants me to be happy is written in the Bible, then all of a sudden when you're not happy, God's got a problem with you. You're doing something wrong. What's wrong with you that you're not happy because God clearly wants everyone to be happy? We can get ourselves into trouble if we don't pay attention. Now, I'm not going to talk about other religions necessarily. I'm going to brush a little bit, but there's so much to talk about other religions and false gospels and things that are out there. We could spend weeks just on those. What I'm teaching here today and what Jesus is teaching is for those who profess that they want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And they want the truth that is only available through him. They seek and they hunger for truth and for righteousness. That's who this message is for. And so as we go into our scripture, we're in Matthew 7, 15 to 23. I'm going to come down here and read it again because it's easier. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now remember where Jesus is. He has just taught this entire message. And he said, hey, seek the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you find the right path. Okay, and as you do that, I want you to choose the right path. I want you to choose the narrow gate. But beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, 
Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? They're asking him. And he wraps it up with this. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now remember, in this version that I use, the New American Standard, anything that's capitalized like that, that's Jesus referring back to Old Testament Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. So this, this is where we find ourselves. Jesus has to take time out to warn us of false prophets. The first thing that we should do, let's go back to the beginning of that Scripture, the first thing that we should do is look at that line, beware of false prophets. What's a false prophet? <clears throat> what constitutes a false prophet? That might, be, that might be something that's kind of hard to define, right? Well, if we look at it in the context of what he's been teaching all this time, in fact, in the context of what he just taught about the wide and narrow gates, a false prophet would be, in essence, anyone who taught that the wide gate will get you where you need to go. Or that there's more than one way to the Father, right? To really put a bullet point at it, anyone who teaches that there's more than one way to the Father other than through Christ Jesus is a false prophet. That who, that's what he's teaching. I agree with that. Is there anybody who does not agree with that? Yeah, don't raise your hand. So I'll call you into my office right away. The other thing is in Jesus' time, it was very, very common for false prophets and teachers to travel the countryside. They traveled around the Galilee. They traveled around Judea all the time prophesying and teaching their version of the word for profit. They were doing it to make money. They were doing it to gain a following. And this was very, very prevalent in Jesus' time. People would roam, would roam all over the place. Now, if you went into a town, if you went into Jerusalem or someplace, Tiberias, someplace that was, that was very populous, it would have its own synagogue. It would have rabbis there who would typically be the teachers. But these other false teachers, false prophets, would travel the countryside and they would go into these small towns and small villages. And again, they were gathering people to them. So they would say whatever that particular town, village, collection of people wanted to hear. They would find out, what kind of problems are you having in your town? Well, we're having problems with our neighbor. Okay, I'll give you a little prophecy that talks about how you're going to overcome your neighbor. Or I'll give you a little prophecy about how your crops are about to flourish or your, your infestation is about to leave. Whatever the problem was, they would tailor-make their teaching and their prophecy to that in order to gain a following and in order to profit financially from it. Jesus was very well aware of this because this was going on all over Judea. It was really common. And in fact, when Jesus started to rise in popularity and notoriety, people started to know about him, a lot of Jews just considered him, he's another one of them. He's another one of these charlatans that just travels around doing their thing and then he'll just disappear someday, leaving us where we are. And so they were rightfully skeptical because they had very, very limited access to teaching. 
Not like us where if you want to know something, you just go on the internet and you will immediately know it. Right? The difference between knowing and not knowing any obscure fact that you want to know right now is however fast you can type it into Google, right? And we don't know if that's accurate information or not, but you'll know something. When I was a kid, okay, so anybody who's like under, let's say, 35, you won't even understand this. But when I was a kid and I wanted to know something, here's what I had to do. I had to go down to the library. And I had to ask the librarian, okay, I'm interested in this question. Where would I find that? And she said, well, go look under this category. And I would walk over to this big wooden box full of thousands of cards which had vague little statements on them. And you go, maybe that book would have something to do with the question I'm asking. I don't know. And then you'd look up this thing called the Dewey Decimal System. And then you would take that card and you would walk all the way over to this other part of the library. Or worse yet, your library didn't have it. So you had to have your mom drive you over to a different library who supposedly had the book. You'd get the book. You'd pour through the entire book, hoping to find the one sentence in that book that would answer the question that you wanted to know. And if they didn't have that book on their shelves, well, then you reserved that book. And when it came in three weeks later, they'd notify you by mail. (laughs) And then you would drive back to the library and pick it up. So, and and all that to find out what town Tom Petty was born in. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, you know these things in 10 seconds. It wasn't that way back in Jesus' time. It wasn't that way. If a false prophet came to your town, a false teacher, and he taught something there, that's what you took. That's what you knew. And it wasn't until it was corrected at some point that you found another way. And that's why Jesus is so against false prophets here. Now, we go to the next verse here, 16, where we're talking about fruit. I'm sorry, back, yeah, back to the beginning. Um, You will know them by their fruits. What is he talking about here when he talks about fruit? Fruit, he's talking about the difference between your external appearance and your internal character. Okay, there are many times where you would find, especially in this kind of agricultural um, environment, you would find that there's a tree that looked healthy on the outside. Looked very healthy on the outside, but the core was rotten. And the same happens with people. You can look good. You can look healthy, you can be eloquent, you can speak a good word, but you're rotten on the inside. And what Jesus is telling us here is that if you're rotten on the inside, you can't produce good fruit. You may be able to say truth now and then, but the fruit of your teaching, the fruit of what you say is not going to bear out to be good fruit. And this is the essence of the next few verses when he's talking about A false teacher's bad fruit will eventually show. It'll show in our context, it'll show in a congregation that no longer cares about Jesus, no longer cares about living the right way, or they're pursuing their own desires as opposed to what God wants for them. Because there are many teachers out there who are leading their congregations that way. Pursue what you want, what's good for you, and God will bless that. It's false teaching, and it's going around all over the place. We get down to the end here, verses 19 and 20, where he's talking about, um, let's see, let's go down. Next one right here, yeah. 
bear good, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a tool that Jesus uses every now and then when he refers back to something that a former prophet or something that's, that was written in the Old Testament word had said. And in this case, he's recalling the words of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus' basically immediate predecessor, said that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. In fact, in the word, it says the axe is at the ready to cut down that tree. And so he's basically linking himself to the teaching of John the Baptist. And what he's doing there is that his audience would have heard that and said, okay, this isn't the first time we've heard this teaching. John the Baptist taught the very same thing. So then it becomes a little bit more familiar to them, lending a little authority and credibility to what Jesus is saying, okay, in their minds. Next section, let's go down to the end. Next one here. There we are. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's not just enough to know Jesus. It's not just enough to know who he is and be able to call him by name. He wants relationship with us. But in this section where he's saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. What's he doing there? Why is he saying all those things? Not only just to say, hey, if you don't know me, you're not going to get there, which in essence is what he's saying, but he's also asserting his authority as his authority as the very son of God. He's saying, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, calling him Lord. And then he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So he is in their face. Remember Jewish culture, they didn't necessarily, even those who were followers of his at the time, were still struggling with him being the actual son of God. And when he comes right out here and he says, they'll be calling me Lord. And if they don't do the will of my Father in heaven, then they're not going to come in. Then he's basically saying, I am truly the Son of God. And what I'm saying has the very authority of God. So that's what he's doing in this, in this part here. And it's not enough to prophesy and to cast out demons and to heal and to perform miracles in his name. Because even the demons know who Jesus is. It's not enough to know who he is. You need to do the will of his Father in heaven. That's what we're doing here. So now, when we come to the end of the scripture here, you can go ahead and take that down. Why did he even have to warn us about this? Now, I talked to you earlier about the false teachers who are traveling the countryside, but even more than that, there was a strain of, of thinking called Gnosticism. Spelled G-N-O-S-ticism. It, last night they thought that was super funny. You guys need more coffee. Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a belief that was really blowing up in popularity around Jesus' time. Okay, really, really blowing up in popularity. And it was similar to Christianity. And it was very similar to the Jewish teachings but it was just a little different. In fact, a common Gnostic teaching at the time was that Jesus was not deity, was not God. He was actually born a man who later became God through his efforts and through 
through all of his, his human um, trials and everything that he went through. But more than that, they thought Gnostics were teaching against Jesus specifically, saying, Jesus, this prophet, is taking the words of John the Baptist, who Gnostics really latched onto his teaching, and they said that he's twisting them. He's twisting these teachings. So in essence, they were claiming that Jesus was a false prophet. And this was going back and forth. Now, for those of you who have never heard of Gnosticism, it's actually around still today. And it's, it's very small, but there are strings of it, strains of it that get into our society's thinking today. I'm going to tell you about that in a second. But let me tell you a few of the core beliefs, the core Gnostic beliefs. Number one, all matter, everything physical in the physical realm is evil. Only the spirit realm is good. Okay, that's what they teach. So mountains, fish, streams, animals, humans, everything that is in the physical realm is inherently evil. Okay, and it's only the spirit that's good. We also serve an unknowable God. We cannot possibly know God. We have no relationship with him. We can't possibly know him. And God has many lesser, lower spirit beings that serve him and are also around in dominion over, over the physical. They also believe that there was a lower, one, one particular lower evil spirit being who decided to create the universe. So all matter, heaven, earth, not heaven, but earth and the universe and the planets and the stars and everything were all created by this one lower spirit being. Okay, we would probably call him the devil. But they believed that if it was up to God, if it was up to Father God, we would all just be spirits. There would be no physical matter anywhere. That's what they believed, and that's what they taught. They didn't deal with sin, and they believed that to achieve salvation, you just had to get in touch with these inner spiritual secrets. And not only would then you be saved and end up in heaven, but then you would become your own God. Okay, where does this play out in today's culture? Anybody seen the movie Da Vinci Code? A lot of people have seen the movie Da Vinci Code. Okay, an entertaining movie. It had Tom Hanks in it. I liked the movie. It was fun. But was it harmless? If you're well-rounded in your Christian beliefs and your knowledge of the Word and your knowledge of truth and how to find truth, then it was probably just an entertaining movie. How many people, though, got their entire knowledge of what Christianity is from the movie The Da Vinci Code? How many times do we see that in our society where a movie or a book or some movie star or something comes out and people go, okay, now I know everything I need to know about Christianity because I watched this movie. It's not I hear a couple of you kind of chuckling, but that is true. That happens. I hear people say this, these things. I have a better understanding now of Christianity because I watched The Da Vinci Code or I read the book. Here are some interesting things. Again, I said Da Vinci Code was based on some Gnostic beliefs. Here are some things that the Da Vinci Code... Now, the movie kind of softened some of these, but the book explicitly states these things. Jesus was just a man who later became divinity by proclamation. In other words, he didn't become God. People proclaimed him God. The Dead Sea Scrolls are the earliest existent Christian records, which is not true. Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. 
and had marital relations and all those things that go along with marriage. This is what the Da Vinci Code teaches. It also teaches that the Bible, all the books of the Bible, old and new, were created or compiled by Emperor Constantine, a pagan emperor, who compiled what he wanted to be in there and threw away books that didn't fit what he wanted to teach. This is what the book says. Last one, it it says that Leonardo da Vinci himself detested Christianity, which wasn't true. Took a few statements that he actually wrote down and they twisted those to mean that he hated all of Christianity, and that's not true. So is that damaging? Is it important that we understand those things? Yeah. Where we get our information matters, and there are people who only get their information from these kinds of sources, as ridiculous as it may seem. There are people, even Christians, who are lazy Christians. They will hear what they're taught, they will believe what they hear on TV, they'll even believe what a preacher teaches them, and that's the end of it. If he said it, it must be true. And while I would like you to have trust in me, I want you to verify what I say. That's why we have the, the journals instead of giving you a bulletin. I don't want to give you a bulletin with a bullet point that says what I want you to think. I'm going to teach the word, and I want you to pray about what God wants you to know. And I want you to write down what God reveals to you in those journals. And I want you to go home and read the scriptures for yourself. Part of my goal in the way that I teach is I want to teach you how to find out the truth for yourself. Now, I promise to you I'm never going to teach you anything that's not truth. But okay, it's the truth as I understand it, and I'll do the best that I can. But I want you to always know how to find out those things for yourself and to take the time and the effort to do that. It's so important. So, Gosh, guys, I'm running long, and I apologize, but there's something powerful I want to share with you. It's a, it's a false gospel that's going around today. Remember, I said I wasn't going to talk about other religions, right? But I am going to talk about one because I think it's very pertinent. Anybody see this book? It's called the Book of Mormon. This book was actually delivered to our doorstep on Friday. They came, they came to the house while I was here writing this message and gave this to Gabe. So they handed it to Gabe open to a scripture, a scripture that reads very much like it does in our Bible. But when I got home, Gabe said, hey, check that out. And I picked it up and I opened it up, random page. And here's the random page and what's written in here. This is in uh, the book of uh, Third Nephi, chapter 14. I'm going to read a section out of this book to you. And I want you to see if this sounds familiar or not. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that know iniquity. Sounds a lot like what I just read to you, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like our scripture for today. What if that's all you knew? What if all you knew of Christ and his teachings was somebody that came to your door and gave you this book and you read that and you said, hey, that's just like what I've read. That's just what my pastor taught. That's the same. This, must, this can't be all bad. They use biblical scripture. Can it be all bad? The problem is counterfeits look just like the real thing. Counterfeits look just like the real thing. That's what a good counterfeit is, okay? If I gave you a picture of the Mona Lisa, which was a smiley face with stick figure legs, you'd go, as not the Mona Lisa. But a good counterfeit looks just like it. It has just enough truth to draw you in and go, okay, I'm comfortable with this. This may be the truth. And that's what that is. But let me read you. As you start looking at that and going, okay, well, I didn't realize that Mormons used Scripture and Jesus' actual teaching, there's nothing in there that's bad. Let me tell you a few other core beliefs of Mormonism. It's what they teach. Jesus is just the firstborn of a heavenly father and mother. Thousands of other gods exist. Okay? It's not just one or three, depending on how you look at it. There are thousands of other gods. God the Father was once a man. God the Father was once a man who progressed into deity. Any man can become his own God. The earth was created not by one single God the Father, but by a council of gods who got together and decided what the earth and the universe was going to look like. And then the last one, this is my favorite one, the current sitting Mormon president can supersede any of the writings in their scripture. Current Mormon president can look at and decide to either throw away, alter, change, disregard, or add to their scripture at any time. Sounds silly, right? We might look at that and go, ah, that seems silly. But let me share with you, before we start throwing stones, let me share with you a few things that are commonly taught in Christian churches. These are things that you won't hear in this church, but you might hear in other well-meaning, well-taught churches around the world. How about this? God will be good with everyone in the end. Doesn't matter if you sin, if you're good, if you even know Jesus, God's going to want everybody to be in heaven, right? We're all his creation. He loves us. That's a belief called universalism. There's a particular author named Rob Bell. I don't know if any of you have read a book called, called Love Wins. You might read that book and go, I kind of agree with that because a loving God is going to do everything he possibly can to make sure his children end up in heaven. Why would he not? But here's another statement, and I was very careful for those of you who have read the book, very careful to research this, and Rob Bell's own words... He says, among other things, hell is going to be empty. There will be no one in hell. Whether they know Jesus or not, whether they've done the right things in their life or not, everyone is going to end up in heaven because that's the way the Father wants it. 
Okay, it's not true. Next one, good people go to heaven. It's just, you just have to be good. How many people know people that say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I do the best thing I can to live the best life that I can. I'm good to other people and I love other people. Okay, I'm gonna end up in heaven too probably. That's what they say. It's not true, and there are, teachers, there, there are teachers and churches who teach that. What about the prosperity gospel? Name it, claim it. Word of faith. There are some mega churches, and I'm not going to name them, but there are some mega churches who take this as the truth. They believe that the Holy Spirit is basically your personal ATM, and that if you just go to Him and say, I want these things, He will provide. It sounds funny, but that's what they teach. And in fact, one of the biggest preachers of this, some of his teaching is wonderful. But then I heard him say, when somebody challenged him about his 23-room mansion with a guest house and a pool on many acres, this giant mansion, somebody questioned him about that. And he says, if I don't live my own gospel, how is anybody else going to believe it? He believes that if you're not healthy and rich and prosperous, you're doing it wrong. It's a common teaching that's taken hold around the world. How about this one? God will heal everyone if we pray hard enough. There's a lot of damage that's done to to people who are struggling or have a loved one who's struggling with sickness because people say, if you haven't been healed, you're just not praying right or your faith is weak or you're not praying enough or there's something wrong with you. You've got sin in your life that you haven't renounced and that's why you haven't been healed. That's not true either. Paul had what was just called a thorn, but he prayed that God would take it from him, and God never did. Okay, God never wanted sickness to begin with, but he uses it for his purposes in the kingdom when it does come in, and sometimes those purposes are to glorify him by healing. Sometimes they're to help other people by your example. There's always a reason, but it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's not that you're a failure. Next one, how about this? You must speak in tongues if you have the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. Anybody been to a church that teaches that? I've heard of some churches that do that. Basically, we're gonna lock the doors and nobody leaves here until you're all speaking in tongues. (laughs) Word doesn't say that, but there are churches who adhere to that. They death grip on that. But it's not true. The Bible says that he gives gifts to those as he determines. Some will have the gift of tongues. Some will interpret. Read 1 Corinthians if you want to know more about that. So how do you know the truth? How can you possibly know the truth when it's so hard to find? There are so many sources out there. There are so many sources that even the disciples of Jesus had a problem knowing where to find the truth. There's so much scripture where they are asking him, how can we possibly know the truth? And here's just a couple. John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, okay, these are disciples. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth. Continue in the word and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. John chapter 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth revealed through Christ Jesus. So how can you know? Worship team, you guys can go ahead and start coming up. How can you really know what the truth is? 
The only way to know the truth from a counterfeit is to know the one true God. Is to know Jesus and Him crucified. That is the only way. Really know Him. Not just know the name. Not just call Him Lord, Lord. But know Him. Have relationship with Him. And He offers that relationship for free to anyone who asks. So if you don't have a relationship with him and you just simply know who he is, I want to urge you, seek his heart. As we go into this response time, I want you to seek the Lord. Seek his heart and what he has for you out of this message. Okay, I'm going to have the worship team play the first song. And during that song, we're not going to put up lyrics. I just want you to stay where you are and just respond to what God is speaking to you. And if you have questions for him or you need help understanding what's going on, we have the prayer team in the back. They would love to pray through this with you and to help you understand. But a relationship with God is what it takes. The very last thing on screen, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Knowing Jesus is the only way to know the truth. And he makes it so easy to do. John Piper, who's one of my favorite, um, he's one of my favorite teachers. He wrote this. He said, bad theology dishonors God and hurts people. Churches that sever the root of truth may flourish for a season, but they will eventually turn into something beside a Christian church. Folks, that's not going to be said of this church. That is not going to be said of this body. We will lift up and glorify Jesus and we will teach his word as it says. We will teach the word only. And for those of you who may be like, I don't have that much of a background in this. I don't really know. I've read the Bible, but I don't know how to understand the Bible. I'm going to start up a class. This class is going to start September 18th. It's going to be at 630. It's going to be right here. It's going to be eight weeks. And we're going to take eight Tuesdays, that's a Tuesday, we're going to take eight Tuesdays, and we're going to talk about the foundations of Christianity. And I know those of you who have been a part of JFC for a long time might remember the foundations classes, okay? This is roughly based on that, but it's going to be very different. I'm going to call this class Bedrock, based on the scripture that we're going to talk about next week. And what we're going to talk about is how to pick a Bible translation, how to study, how to truly study the Word of God. I'm going to take an entire week and we're going to talk about false gospels. Okay, it's not a comparative religion class, but we're going to talk about false gospels. We're going to talk about how you can look at the word of God and know that it is true and 100% inerrant in everything that it says. We're going to talk about what is prayer, what is faith, who was Jesus. We're going to talk about these sorts of things because I want this to be a body that knows Jesus, and that can tell counterfeit gospels from the real thing when they hear them. That's what's in my heart. So I want to pray in closing again. I want you to respond to whatever God is speaking to you. Just respond in your seats. When you are ready, you can move around and start doing communion. We have communion up here with the ju- with wine, and at the crosses, there's juice. You can serve yourself. But let's do this in response to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have sent your son as a guide, you send your word as a guide. Your word in the flesh came to guide us, 
guide us to the correct path, to guide us to the narrow path. And Lord, we thank you that that path is open to anyone who seeks it with all their heart. Lord, we want to be seekers of your word and we want to know your word. So Lord, plant that word on our hearts. Help us to discern false gospels that we've been listening to from the real thing. Convict our hearts to chase you and to chase the truth and to chase more of you and a depth of knowledge of you that we have never had. Father, we love you. We praise you and we rebuke all of the false gospels that come our way on a daily basis. Open our eyes to see those things for what they are. We pray this in Jesus' name.
says whatever our past looks like, God, we want to lay it down and take the step to follow you, God. We know your hand's reaching out for us, God. Give us the strength and the power and the faith to just reach out and grab your hand, God. You want us. You long for us, Father. Help us turn our hearts towards that and see truth. God, we want you. We want your presence in this place. We want your love to fill the atmosphere right now, God. We're going to go ahead and open up communion. The prayer team is back if anyone needs to go back there and have prayed for. We just ask that you can stand now and worship with us during this time. Atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. The atmosphere is changing. All around. 
things that uh, we also hear in churches from time to time is that miracles don't happen anymore or there's no such thing as prophets anymore. The Spirit of the Lord is here this morning. Miracles can't happen. I want to take some time and and if you're here and you have a need, you have a a miracle you need in your life, whether that's personal life, if that's business, if that's a physical ailment, if you have some bonds and chains that need to be broken, I want you to step out. The prayer team is around the back of the sanctuary. And we're trusting in miracles for people this morning. So if you have a need, it doesn't matter if you know Jesus or not. He knows you and he knows what your needs are. He wants to touch you. He wants to meet you wherever you are. So step out as we begin to go into this next song and, and just meet up with the prayer team. But they, want to, they want to pray with you and they want a miracle for your life too. So just step out in faith if you would.
Thank you for your heart for us, God. 